Good morning, and welcome to the radio broadcasts of the Brinesburg Missionary Baptist Church. Let your love 
that's called heaven Prepared for the pure of These truths in God's word He has given How Today you'll be listening to the message preached by our pastor, Brother Brad Walker, during our Sunday morning worship service. May God bless you as you listen to his message. Amen. Thank you, Tim, for that special music. And uh, how beautiful it will be when we are at home uh, doing what God has created us to do forever, which is worshiping our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, and it will be a beautiful day. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Again, this morning we'll be looking at verses 11 through 14, and it's probably looked at your bulletin this morning. This is uh, in Southern Baptist churches. We celebrate our senior adult ministries uh, on, on this particular day, and so thankful for all of our senior adults here at Brinesburg. Uh, who have laid a foundation of faithfulness and ministry and in service for so many years, but also who are so, so very active. And I think especially 
uh, about some of those ministries we've been talking about today of Marcellus Kitchen and, and Bags of Hope. Uh, many of those outreach ministries wouldn't be possible uh, without so many people saying, you know what, that's going to be my job now. That's what I'm going to put all my time into is helping individuals in this community in the name of Christ. And uh, so thankful for them and others who are still teaching and, and uh, doing so many other jobs, a lot of times behind the scenes that nobody knows about. Uh, but so, so very thankful for our senior adults here at Brinesburg. As you're turning there to Ephesians chapter 1, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Lord, Heavenly Father, we do thank you again this morning for the way you've stirred our hearts as we've sung about who you are and the promises that you've given us. And Lord, now as we look at those promises even now uh, through your word here in Ephesians chapter 1, I, I just pray that you'd stir our hearts. I know I have some friends here today and they don't yet know you as Savior and Lord. Lord, as we think about uh, your sharing ministry, Lord, I pray that you would stir their heart to recognize that they're lost and they need this relationship with you that was being spoken about this morning. Lord, for those of us who have that relationship with you, for those of us who know you as, as our Savior, as our Lord, as our hope, as our assurance, Lord, I pray that this would stir us to be more active in personal evangelism, of going and sharing this great gospel that we're going to talk about this morning with a lost and a dying world. Lord, that you might uh, continue to move in a miraculous and marvelous way in the lives of so many. I pray even this morning that we might see salvation in this place. I know I'm a very weak vessel. Lord, hide me behind the cross. That only you be seen, that only you be heard. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Over the past month, um, we've been looking at basically this song of praise that Paul is lifting up to the Lord here in Ephesians chapter 1. And so let me take just a few moments to catch you up if you missed a few Sundays so you know where we're at right now. We saw there in verses 3 through 6 that Paul praises God for his sovereign work in our lives. And he reminds us in verse 3 that God is good. And God's goodness translates into his blessings upon our lives. And he demonstrates his blessings unto us by showering us with his blessings. Among those blessings is God's work in salvation. He made us a part of his redemptive plan. And this results in us being adopted into God's family as sons and daughters of the king. In our having our lives changed by his power and our being accepted by God. That is a valid reason this morning, Brinesburg, for us to praise the Lord for the work that he's done. But also we see there in verses 7 through 10, Paul praises God for his saving work. And he reminds us that God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into the world to redeem us from our sins. And through his precious blood, we are redeemed by grace and forgiven of all of our sins. And God, in his great grace, opened our eyes to our lost condition. And he made us aware of what Christ did for us when he died on that cross. And then he saved us by his amazing grace. And then to top it all off, God did everything I just mentioned and more just because it brought him pleasure. That's another valid reason this morning for us to praise the Lord. But this morning, as we focus on verses 11 through 14, Paul tells us that God is to be praised for his sharing work. And in these verses, Paul turns his attention to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In these verses, we will not only see that God has provided a way of salvation and has revealed that plan unto us, but we will also see that God has opened up the treasure house of heaven 
and has shared everything he possesses with his redeemed people. Another reason to praise the Lord. And so if you will, please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to begin there in verse 11. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who has worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. You may be seated. We see the place, first of all, the place of God's sharing work. God's great gifts, his salvation and his blessings cannot be found just anywhere. Paul reveals the location of the wonders of the Almighty. He tells us where God's blessings are found. First, they are found in a person. They are found in a person. God shares his blessings with a select group of people. In verse 11, he begins with the words, in whom. The whom Paul refers to is the Lord Jesus Christ. God's blessings are found in a personal love relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone in the world, both saved and lost, can enjoy some of God's blessings. We all know that we all, saved and lost alike, enjoy air and water and food and life and and this world, this wonderful world that God has created for us. They're all given to all men. Jesus himself reminds us in Matthew 5.45, He maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. But let me explain to you this morning that these common blessings end at the door of salvation. Those who come to Jesus by faith become the partners of God in his best blessings. And outside of that personal relationship with him, you cannot understand these blessings. When we are saved, we are adopted into the family of God. Our sins are forgiven. We are promised a home in heaven. Our lives are changed and we are made into new creatures. Our Heavenly Father promises to abide with us, to supply all of our needs, to love us and to bless us. And when we come to the Son, we are given everything that belongs to the Father. Having Jesus puts us into a place, a blessing, which begs the question this morning, do you have the Son? Do you have the Son in your life? Have you invited Him to come in to your life? Not do you come to church every Sunday, and not are you a member of the church this Sunday, and not have you been baptized, but do you have the Son in your life? Because without him, you cannot know these blessings. But secondly, they are found in a plan. They are found in a plan. Paul says that we have been predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things out of the counsel of his own will. When we hear the word predestined, we automatically recoil from it many times. In our minds, we link predestination with sovereign election, and we shrink away from those doctrines. In fact, some people 
are so hardened against the doctrines that they refuse to hear them even when they're preached. They just kind of want to put their fingers in their ears and not listen. You wouldn't believe some of the difficulties that I've had simply from preaching on election found there in verse 4. However, just because we don't understand everything that election and predestination encompass does not change the fact that they are true and biblical doctrines. God placed them in his word for a reason, because he meant it. It's the facts in verse 11. Verse 11 makes a very clear statement about the sovereignty of God. He says that God worketh all things according to the counsel of his own will. And so either that verse means that God controls all things, even salvation, or it means nothing. You see, either it is true or it is a lie. Like so much in Scripture that is difficult for us to understand, we either have to accept it or we have to reject the entirety of the Word of God in whole. We can't take bits and pieces as so many liberal theologians like to do. Either it's true or it's not true. And so we have to come to that realization. Brinesburg, I prefer to believe that God knows what he's talking about. And as Paul says in Romans 3, 4, let God be true and every man a liar. It doesn't matter if these doctrines make us comfortable or not. They are the doctrines of God. And so we have to come to understand what he's saying to us. And so the word predestined simply means appointed or destined. It refers to God's plans. Plans that God the Father made for his people sometime in the past. And when, when we speak of election, we're talking about God's choosing some for salvation in eternity past. And when we speak of predestination, we're talking about God's determination that those who are saved will experience certain things in time. Election has to do with salvation. Predestination has to do with sanctification. And so election has to do with God's choices. Predestination has to do with God's changes. Election has to do with eternity. Predestination has to do with time. And so God predestined every event in life of every child of God so that he will experience a change life here and an eternal life with him in the hereafter. God is telling us that we are headed somewhere that this isn't just chaos, that this isn't just happenstance, that God has a plan for it all. And so, while we're here, all the events of life are, are ordered by our Lord to make us more like Jesus. That's the process of sanctification. God saved us to make us like Christ, that each and every day we become more like Him in the way that we think. And the way that we love, and the way that we act, and the way that we speak, that we'd be more like Jesus. When we leave this world, God has predestined us to live with him for eternity in our home in heaven. And that is biblical predestination. Paul goes on to tell us that God performs this predestination according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. That word worketh speaks of ongoing or energetic activity. It is the picture of God 
a God who is actively and energetically involved in assuring that his purposes are fulfilled and that his will is accomplished. And so God has a plan and he is working that plan every single second of time and every single second of your life here on this earth. You are headed in a particular direction. God has determined that his people will be with him where he is. And so that word counsel refers to God's determined purposes that cannot be changed. And so the word will speaks of God's desires. God desires that his people will obtain an an eternal inheritance in Jesus Christ. And so God orders every event in life to see that everything works out like he wants it to. He is pulling all the strings of life. He is manipulating every event. He is behind every blessing. And he is even behind the tragedies that we experience in life. All the events of life serve to accomplish his plan. And we don't always understand that. But he has promised us that it is for his glory. And it is ultimately for our good. And so being a part of God's eternal plan is the only way to enjoy the best of his blessings. And so are you a part of his plan? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Are you living for him, desiring to be more like him each and every day? But then also, we see thirdly, they are found in his pleasure. Look at verse 11. It says that God does these things after the counsel of his own will or desires. And so verses 12 and 14 refer to the praises of his glory. Paul is telling us that all the blessings we enjoy in Jesus Christ, whether they are heavenly or earthly in nature, they come to us through the heart of a God who takes delight in blessing his people. He is good to us simply because he wants to be. He blesses us because in blessing us, it it brings him pleasure. Now, as I've stated before, I don't understand and I can't completely comprehend how God could receive pleasure from saving the likes of us. Because I know what I'm like. I know some of the thoughts in my mind. I know some of the, some of the actions in my life. I know the way that I was before I came to Christ. And I know that we're all the same, that none of us are perfect. None of us are completely pure in our thought life or in our actions or, or, or in any part of our life. And so I don't understand how he receives any joy from blessing our lives like he does. But Brinesburg, he does. That's what he tells us here. Of course, the Bible indicates that God even found pleasure in sending his son to die for our sins. I can't comprehend all of that. But to that, I say, hallelujah and praise the Lord. I I bless his name that he loved me when I was a sinner and that he saved me. I praise his name that he, he, he put me in his plan before the foundation of the world. I glorify him that he saved me and continues to bless me in in spite of my foolish ways many times. I praise him. And all these things we have in Jesus Christ are ours simply because it brings God pleasure to bring them to us. It pleases him to work his will in the world and in our lives so that we will eventually end up where he saved us to go. And for that, he deserves to be praised. But this morning, I also want you to see the purpose of God's sharing work. The purpose of God's sharing work. All of God's blessings arise from our relationship with him through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And they come to us solely in his good pleasure. And if 
you are in Jesus, you are a candidate for God's blessings. If you are not in him this morning, then you need to be saved. And if you will come to Jesus, you will become a candidate for the blessings of God as well. And having told us where the blessings of God originate, now Paul tells us something about the purposes of God's saving work. These verses reveal two of God's purposes in his saving work. The first is to reveal his glory through us. To reveal his glory through us. In verse 12, Paul says that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. So in other words, God saved us to reveal his glory through us to a lost world. And when the world sees the saints of God, they see a living, breathing testament of God's saving power. And so later in this book, Paul will say in Ephesians 2.10, We are his workmanship, created in Jesus Christ unto good works, which God, which God hath foreordained that we should walk in them. The word workmanship translates into a word that means a work or that which is made. We get our English word poem from it. And it refers to an artist's master work, the crowning creation of all his abilities and talents. And so God points to those that he has redeemed by his grace. And he says that we represent the pinnacle of his power. The pinnacle of his power. Our lives are to be living testimonies to the glory of God's saving power through Jesus Christ. You see, the world is watching. That's what Paul tells us. It's what Jesus tells us, that there is a world that's watching us. And that's why Paul describes our lives as a book read by the lost. And when the world reads our lives, what do they learn? What do they learn when they see us? Do they learn that Jesus Christ changes every life that he touches? Or do they learn that he makes very little to no real difference in the lives of men? When Paul uses the word trusted in, verse, in this verse, it is the tense that suggests an ongoing trust that alters the life of the one trusting. It is a once-for-all trust that changes everything. And so when you place your trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, you are changed. And that change will manifest itself in a new life and in a continual desire to live for the Lord forever. The child of God may not, be per- may not be perfect this side of heaven, but the child of God will be different. And it will show until the day that we leave this world. There will be a difference. When they read us, they should see people who are different. They should see people who are Christ-filled and who live every minute under the direction of Almighty God. They should see a people who walk differently than they do, who talk differently than they do, who think differently than they do, who are different than they are. We should make a difference. What they see when they read us should be different. What is a watching world? What's a lost world reading when they read your life? God saved you for his glory. Does your life bring him any glory? Are you any different than the rest of the world? That's what Paul's saying here. So now having said that, it should cause us to lift our voices in praise when we stop to consider what Paul is saying here. He is telling us that you are saved in Jesus and blessed because it brings glory to God. 
He is glorified in your salvation. He is magnified because you don't have to go to hell now. He has redeemed you and it brings him honor. Let that soak in for a minute of what your salvation means to God and what it means to a watching world. But also, secondly, to reveal his gifts to us. Part of God's purpose in saving us is for his own glory. Another part has to do with God's revealing his grace through our inheritance in Jesus. In verse 11, Paul says, we have obtained an inheritance. The word inheritance refers to something assigned to another, a heritage. And every one of us in here this morning, all of us, have a heritage of one kind or another. Whether it is a good or a bad one, a godly one or an evil one, we all have a heritage. It's the way that we talk, think, and interact with the world is determined by that heritage that we have. Some of us here this morning have a godly heritage And for that, we should thank the Lord. We should praise the Lord for that godly heritage of of godly, Christ-loving parents and grandparents and great-great-grandparents. I have that. I praise the Lord for it. But others here this morning have a heritage that you would rather forget. And if that be the case, then leave it with God and look forward, not back. Look forward to what God has for you. But regardless of what kind of heritage we have behind us, every saint of God have, has a marvelous inheritance in God, Paul tells us. We are promised peace and love and grace and wisdom and eternal life and joy and victory and strength and guidance and power and mercy and forgiveness and righteousness and truth and fellowship with God, spiritual discernment, those and countless other good things that come from God that are promised to us as an inheritance. And while we have all those great blessings God can provide here, we have even greater things awaiting us in eternity. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, Paul tells us that God will use the endless ages of eternity to reveal the glories of his grace unto us. In fact, in 1 Peter 1, 3-5, Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope, By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And so every day we live in this world, God demonstrates one of his purposes as he blesses us here. And then when this life is over, we'll go on to be with him in his heaven, where he will Allow us to enjoy his presence and the place that he has prepared for us there. I would just remind you that we are the children of God and we are his heirs. Let that sink up. Heirs. But in fact, look at what Romans 8, 17 refers to us as. Joint heirs. Now what does it mean to be a joint heir? It means that Christ himself will not receive his inheritance apart from us. Now, how can that be? It's the way that God made it. The Lord's future glory is wrapped up in us, his church. We will be given an inheritance together. That's an amazing thing. The love of Almighty God for us, his church. But then thirdly, I want you to see the promise of God's sharing work. 
When we are in Jesus Christ, we are in a place where we can enjoy the great blessings of God. He shares his blessings with us and he does it for his own glory and he does it to reveal his gifts to us in Jesus Christ. God's sharing work holds many blessings for us. In these verses, Paul not only talks about the place of God's sharing work and the purpose of God's sharing work, but he also talks about the promise of God's sharing work. Paul tells us about the work of the Holy Spirit in bringing us to Jesus Christ for salvation and his work in our lives after we're saved. And so it is seen in his saving work. In verse 13, Paul tells us, In whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth. In that short statement there, Paul talks about the way that God saves sinners. I make no excuses and I make no apologies about the way God saves sinners and the way that I believe regarding election and predestination. But while I believe God is sovereign in salvation, I also know that man is responsible to believe in Jesus. Paul tells us that we must trust in Jesus after having heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And so when the gospel is preached, the Holy Spirit opens the eyes of lost sinners and he draws them to Jesus. And when that sinner responds by looking to Jesus by faith, salvation is the end result. And so my friends, if you want to miss hell, and if you want to go to heaven, if you want to enjoy the great blessings of our Lord, if you want all that God has to offer in Jesus, then you must do it God's way. And so let me tell you what you need to do. You must believe in the gospel. And maybe you're here this morning and you're not completely sure what the gospel really is. What, well, well, Brother Brett, what is the gospel that you talk about? Well, Scripture makes it very clear. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4 what the gospel is. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. Paul continues to make it clear to us in Romans 4, 25, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. And then perhaps the most simple declaration of the gospel that we teach our children is John 3.16. For God so loved the world, meaning you, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the gospel. And not only must you hear the gospel, you must believe it. If you can believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, if you can believe that he rose again from the dead, you can be saved by trusting what he did at Calvary. If you will trust him, then he will save you. Here's what he promises in Romans 10, 9. That if thou shalt confess with the mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And so the question comes this morning, whether you be young or whether you be old, The question comes, have you believed the gospel? 
Because it all comes down to that. Not do you come to church regularly. Not are you a good person in the eyes of the world. Not have you joined a church. Not have you been baptized. Have you believed the gospel for your salvation? But also, it is seen in his sealing work. When a sinner believes in Jesus and is saved, verse 13 says that they are sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. When Paul says that we are sealed, he is referring to the ancient practice of sealing letters or other official documents with a wax seal. Hot wax was placed on the document and then the signet ring would then be pressed into that wax. And the sealed document carried the authority of the person who owned the seal. And so this practice is very suggestive of what God does in our lives, the lives of his children when, when he saves us and when he seals us in him. The seal of God's spirit is a believer's life signifies at least four great truths. Let me go over these real quick with you. The first, it signifies security. Because when an ancient king placed his seal on something, it represented a decree that it was secure and unchangeable. When God saves a soul, the Spirit of God moves in and takes up residence in that new believer. And when he comes in, he sets his seal on the believer and promises us eternal security in Jesus. And so the seal of an earthly ruler might be broken, but the eternal seal of God upon a believer's heart will never be broken and never be removed. Secondly, it signifies authority and authenticity. Authenticity, the seal of, a, of an ancient king te- testifies to the authenticity of a document in which it is attached to. When God saves a soul, the presence of the Holy Spirit in that life declares the authenticity of that believer. And so the presence of the Spirit says, this life is mine and they are a citizen of my kingdom. And so when the Spirit of God is in you, there will be an authenticity about your life that will be missing otherwise. But thirdly, it signifies authority. Authority, the seal of an ancient king, carried great authority as we, th- as we see through Scripture. And when God saves and seals a soul, he gives that new believer divine authority. He gives them authority to serve him in this world. He gives them authority to preach the gospel, to teach the gospel, to witness and to work and to serve him in this world. When God saves you, he sends you into the world to serve him as his ambassador. And you have an authority to labor in his field. He has sealed you for that purpose. But then fourthly, it signifies ownership. The seal of an ancient ruler declared absolute ownership. And so when the Lord saves a soul, he marks that soul as his personal possession. And the seal of the Holy Spirit on a life declares that the saved person is God's property. His seal lets us know that the transaction of salvation is complete and is forever final. When a truck is loaded and headed off for delivery and the trailer door is finally sealed, that seal declares that the load within matches what is declared on the bill of ordering and loading. The seal signifies to the correctness of the contents within. That seal says what is in this trailer cannot be changed and that means that a broken seal signifies trouble. So when God says that he saved you, it means that he has sealed you forever. You are his. His seal says that you are his and the contents of your soul have been been, uh, um, authenticated and his seal declares What is inside of you cannot be changed. You are his forever. You are his, and that can never be 
undone by anyone or anything. But also it is seen in his securing work. Verse 14, Paul tells us that the presence of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives is the earnest of our inheritance. It is even called the spirit of promise. The word earnest refers to money that is given in a purchase of down payment, which guarantees that the balance will be paid. And so if you've ever financed a car, you know what I'm talking about with earnest money. You, you gave them some earnest money as the promise that you would pay the rest in time. And when you signed that, that credit contract, you were promising them that you were good for the rest of that money. And so you started paying it back a little at a time. And eventually, when all the money had been repaid, the car became yours. When Jesus died for us, he paid for our redemption. And he paid completely. There is nothing left for us to pay. And when we are saved, the Holy Spirit came into our hearts as a promise of God that he will come for us. His purchased possession. He bought us and he sent his spirit to live within us, to mark us as his property until the day comes when he will take us home to glory. And so the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is proof that we are headed to heaven, that he is the pledge of our future inheritance. And that ought to make even a saved Baptist want to shout this morning to recognize who we are in Christ and the security that we have in him. The word earnest has the idea of a guarantee, and it's the same word used to speak of an engagement ring. Because when a man gives a woman an engagement ring, he is making a pledge and a promise to her as well. He is promising to be faithful to her, to love her, and he is promising that he will come back for her in the future. That She will be his one day. And that is what the Spirit of the Lord promises us when he saves us. He promises to be faithful to us, to love us, and that one day... The one who purchased us to himself will come for us to take us to himself. That is his pledge. That is our guarantee. And so we thank him for it. And so this morning, do you remember when you were saved? Do you remember when you experienced that sweet sense that all was right with the Lord? Do you you remember how the Spirit of God has moved in your heart during times of worship when you were simply overwhelmed with his presence and filled with awe at what he was doing in your heart? Do you remember a time when you obeyed the voice of the Spirit and and God used you to to do something great? Maybe it was leading someone to Christ. Maybe it was something on a mission trip or on a ministry here in the church and God used you in a powerful way. Maybe you you remember that time when you manifested the the fruit of the Spirit in some situation in which normally you would have acted in the flesh. Do you remember those moments? Do you remember how that made you feel? If you remember those kinds of experiences, take them and multiply them by a million and you begin to picture what it's going to be like when we enter into that glorified state in glory. Right now, we are just getting a taste. It's like being at Sam's Club, and they offer you that little sample. And it's just to sell you the box of 50 so that you can really enjoy it. This is just that Sam's Club sample right now. But when we arrive in heaven, we're going to get to enjoy the entire meal. And it will be glorious. And by the way, if All we are experiencing here is just a taste of what is to come. Can you imagine how wonderful it will be to experience everything God has for us? We had a wonderful Easter season this year with revival and and the Easter cantata and all that God did in saving so many souls. But he tells us that is just merely a taste of what we're getting ready for. 
Just another reason for us to praise the God of our salvation for his grace and his blessings. God has blessed us in Jesus Christ. He has opened the vaults of heaven and given us greater riches in Jesus Christ than we can possibly imagine. And we should praise him for his sharing work. There are some here this morning who understand some of what they possess in Jesus. And so you should bow before him and thank him and then rise up and serve him. One day you will give an account for taking the gifts of God for granted in your life. Others this morning are just beginning to understand what they have in Jesus. And you should bow before him and thank him and then you should rise up to serve him as well. Being blessed by the Lord brings great responsibility into our lives. But I know that there are some here this morning who have never trusted Jesus Christ for salvation. And you need to come to Jesus this morning. You have heard the gospel presented to you this morning. Christ has given you yet another opportunity to respond to him. You have no excuses this morning. You know that Jesus is speaking to your heart. You know you're lost. You know you need to be saved. And you know that Jesus is reaching out to you right now. If that's you this morning, whether you are in the balcony or whether you're sitting out here in the pew, whether you're watching on television or on the internet, you know that Jesus Christ is speaking to you, that there is no security in your salvation because you have no salvation. You've never entered into a relationship with Christ. You've come to church a lot, yes. You've been a good person, yes. You, you've tried to do good things, yes. Maybe you've been religious and even joined the church, yes. But you've never trusted Christ for your salvation. If that is you this morning, I don't care if you are young or if you are old, you are lost. And you need Jesus. And you need to stop making excuses. And you need to be saved. So here in a moment, we're going to play some music and we're going to sing. And that's your opportunity to come and say, God, I'm tired of playing games. And I'm tired of, uh, of making excuses for not coming to you. I want to be saved this morning. And if that's you, we will rejoice with you. And we will celebrate with you because you will have moved from death to life. If that's you, get ready. Get ready to make that decision. But if you're one who just needs to come to this altar and you need to thank God for what he has already done in your heart, then do that. You need to give him the rightful praise that he is due. Do that. If you need to join this church, do that. What is God calling you to? His wonderful sharing work has been shared with you this morning. How will you respond? Lord, Heavenly Father, we come to you today. And we are so very thankful for your sharing work. It is something to once again praise you for. A work that only you could do Lord, only you could die for our sins. Only you could rise again and defeat the grave and death itself. And so, Lord, this morning, I know that I've got some friends. Some friends I've been praying for for quite some time who are lost and need to be saved today. Lord, right now you're working on their heart. Right now there's spiritual warfare going on. And they're struggling. And right now they're, they're trying to block out everything that's being said to just try to get out of this place and, and to try to get away from that feeling for yet another Sunday. But Lord, help them to recognize that is you speaking to their hearts. That is you desiring to rescue them this morning from an eternity in hell. Lord, do the work of salvation that only you can do today. But some of us are saved and we're not living like it. Some of us are saved and we're not taking all the opportunities that you're giving, you're giving us to share. Lord, some of us need to make this our church home and we know it and we're just not doing it. Lord, help us to be obedient to you today. That you would receive the honor and the glory and the praise from it. Lord, work as only you can. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
as we stand and as we sing, respond. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today from Bryansburg Missionary Baptist Church. If you need spiritual help with the relationship with the Lord, please call 270-527-3757. Also, we would like to invite you to attend our services. On Sunday morning, Sunday school begins at 10 a.m. and our worship service is at 11 a.m. On Sunday evening, discipleship training begins at 5 p.m. with our worship service at 6 p.m. You may also view our Sunday worship services live on Mediacom Inspiration Channel 93. On Wednesday night, our worship service begins at 7 p.m. Once again, thanks for listening, and may God bless you and your family.